Welcome to the 404th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in hot and humid southwest Florida. Welcome and thanks for listening. Actually, we got into the 70s today for my morning run, so that was pretty cool. This weekend will be my last long run before the two-week taper into the Tejas Trail Marathon uh, in Lake Somerville, Texas, just a little bit outside of Houston. So we're looking forward to that. Eddie Delaney Minerge, Michael, and I will be partaking in that trail marathon. So we're looking forward to that. Um, been training on the road. So, you know, once again, um, we have no idea what the terrain will be like. I looked at some of the previous times from looking at the times that um, may be a little bit difficult in some areas in the terrain. So we'll see. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to spending time with Addie and Caleb and Nathan and uh, getting into uh, running some trails. So um, I tried a new bean. You know, you might think a plant-based cardiologist would have eaten every bean known to man, but um, I've got a new bean in my repertoire, uh, pigeon peas. We came along pigeon peas as a way to kind of protect um, fruit trees. They grow kind of bushy and kind of tall, and they're actually a natural form of mulch so that you can cut them down and use the stalks for, for mulching purposes. They um, might be a bit of a barrier um, um, for some animals. The other thing is they help to recycle and replenish nitrogen in the soil. So that's how we came upon them. Of course, you know, if you're gonna grow them, can you eat them? It turns out that they are a very common bean in some Jamaican dishes. So this week I purchased some dried pigeon peas and soaked them and made them in a somewhat Jamaican style with scotch bonnet peppers, oregano, and cayenne. And the first way I used them was I used them with rice and we, and we did stuffed peppers. So we stuffed red, yellow, and orange bell peppers and poblano peppers. Um, when we have stuffed peppers in my house, we serve them with mashed potatoes. It's kind of the traditional side dish. There was also tomatoes in that stuffing. Um, and then I recycled the leftover beans and uh, mixed them with Swiss chard and had them along with the sweet potato. And that was also very good. They are a texture somewhat, well, they look like um, black-eyed peas, only a reddish-brown version. Um, texture somewhat like that, so more of a texture of a white bean, white to pinto bean perhaps. Um, not real strong. They took up the spice really nice. Um, apparently pigeon peas were first domesticated in India over 3,500 years ago. They're a good source of vitamin C, 43 milligrams a day, B vitamins, as well as some iron, 2.4 milligrams of iron, and we're going to get back to that iron thing in a little bit. Um, so good for the soil, providing nitrogen, good for mulch to keep the trees and uh, shrubs nice and hydrated and a weed barrier, and good for humans, so perfect. If you listened to last week's podcast with Jenny McCall, the driving force for her to get into doing Ninja Warrior training was to be able to do a pull-up. And I had, you know, joked around with her that, you know, I thought I was doing good doing a band-assisted pull-up. So I decided I want to do a pull-up. 
And so I looked at some approaches on how I might go from a band or assisted pull-up to a pull-up without a band. Now, I've been doing band-assisted pull-ups for quite some time on an irregular basis, one to two times a week, maybe skip a week, maybe do it three times a week, but I never really get much further than, you know, three sets of eight band-assisted pull-ups. It always seems hard to start the pull-up for me. I can do a chin-up, and I can do an unassisted chin-up if uh, on a fairly regular basis. I don't know. You know, I've never tried to do more than one, but I can get up with an unassisted chin-up, but not a pull-up. I can't get started to get my weight up. So I decided to look up, you know, some training programs on how I might progress. And I came across this training program um, that I decided to experiment with. It's a 22-day program to an unassisted pull-up. Now, there was no disclaimer that this will not work in people over blank age or under blank age, or you should have this level of ability before starting this pull-up regimen. Um, and certainly the man in the video did not have, had uh, a muscular uh, physique um, much different than mine. Um, was a weight, you know, but who knows? Um, so I decided to do his program. Um, I'll try to make a link to it in the show notes. Um, it was a YouTube video. But the basis of it is that you do a baseline test to see where you are. And then there's three days of exercises based on that test. Then you retest. And then you do three more days. And then you retest. And every day, every time you retest, the next three days of the exercises are increased, the, the number of them. So for an example, uh, one of the tests is an inverted row. And so you do it to maximum failure and you do a hang from a bar with your legs out straight for the maximum number of seconds. And then you do um, a, or, uh, inverted rows and a com uh, inverted rows and uh, chair assisted pull up one day, inverted rows and a eccentric pull up, which means you start at the top and kind of let yourself down low. And then you do um, a hollow log ab um, hold for as long as you can. And again, more inverted rows. On the three days after the test, you increase the number of inverted rows by um, your max plus 50%, uh, 40%, max plus 50%, max plus 60%. So every time you retest, if you can do more inverted roll, rows, then you obviously have more inverted rows the next three days and you retest. So um, what have I learned from this so far? I'm on day 11. Um, the first couple of days, you know, I mean, it was, you know, the first day is just and see how long you can hang and how many inverted jeep rows you can do to, you can't do anymore. And so that didn't take very long. And so the, my first thought is, well, this is not very much. And then again, you know, you do two exercises each day. It's like, well, that's not very much to get me to a pull-up. But what I soon found out was that when you increase by 40%, 50%, 60%, all of a sudden it starts to become more difficult each day and it started to get a little sore. Now, he says in the video, if you get too sore and you have to take a day off on the day, the 22 days, you can, but it's not really recommended. So if you have to, you can, but be, it'd be good if you didn't. 
I was never that sore that I had to take a day off and not progress. But I was sore enough that it made me a little nervous. Addie Delaney Minorich makes fun of me because she says I don't like to get sore when I weightlift. And it's true in the sense that I don't like my legs to get sore because then it, hamper, it hampers my running ability. So I don't care about my upper body so much, but it's my legs that I don't like to get sore. But, you know, it does keep me, again, out of the weight room as much as she, she is in the weight room. So anyway, I started to get a little sore in my upper body, and I got a little nervous because I was afraid that, uh, you know, am I going to be able to hang for the 22 days? You know, if I'm making it complete this, and of course, what's the outcome going to be? Because there's a big unknown there, right? Because I can't do one, and I'm trying to do one. Um, and it hit me that, you know, this is probably not too different than somebody starting a plant-based nutrition program. You start out, and it seems very easy. All you have to do is eat fruits and vegetables. And, you know, you make rice and beans one day, and you might have rice and beans and something else one day. And then pretty soon, uh, you might get a little bored with salads every day or eating the same thing every day. Or if something comes up, there's a little challenge. And the next thing you know, you take a break. And then you don't start back up. So... I thought about, so how could you apply this method to plant-based nutrition? The other thing that, you know, because there's a, there's a question with me in 22 days, will I actually be able to do a pull-up in 22 days? What do I think? You know, what's my prediction? I'm not going to tell you uh, what I really think or, or how it is because I'm not going to limit myself in, in any way either, either direction. But I'm going to go the 22 days. Um, as the workups have gotten harder because there's more inverted rows, you can take breaks. And, and he said that on the YouTube video, you can take breaks in between the number if you can do. So, you know, right now I'm doing eight inverted rows, wait a little bit, do eight inverted rows, wait a little bit, do eight inverted rows. So today I had to do 33 inverted rows in 11 eccentric pull-ups. And so it was, you know, I had to wait a little bit between, and it, and again, it makes me a little bit nervous because I can't necessarily accomplish it all in one swoop. So, and I can see my weaknesses. I can see where I'm having issues as far as getting started and all those other things. So there's doubt. And when there's doubt comes in, it's like, well, if I'm not going to be able to do this, maybe I should just stop or let this go. Um, I'm not going to do that, but you can see how it kind of starts to come into the equation pretty quickly. I like the program because it does break this whole thing up into sections. So I don't really have to look ahead. I do the math of what I suspect, you know, it's three days at a time. And then I retest and see how I, how I am. And, and actually testing day is probably a little bit easier because it's less than, you know, it, it's just, you know, getting your new baseline again. I have been through a lot of tests in my lifetime, through college, medical school, CMEs, retesting for certification, and I have never liked tests. Um, I've always had test anxiety. There's always been pressure to do well on tests. It was do or die, you know, through medical school. Um, you know, you flunk, you're out type of thing. So there's always been pressure on tests. And the word test always means the possibility of not doing well. Um, and a lot of people have that same aversion. Uh, I have people that, you know, the thought of getting their blood pressure tested, the thought of weighing, the thought of getting their cholesterol tested. 
Um, so there's so many, there's, there's, there are a lot of negative connotations associated with, with testing. But I do think it's a very important thing so that we can see where we are in our plan to see if something's actually working so that we can readjust. And, you know, can we add more? The other thing is, you know, um, testing allows us to start out at a lower level. So if we apply this to plant-based nutrition, and I do, um, often when people come into the office, is where are you now? And I have had people come into the office that hardly ate a vegetable to the point where people ate mostly, they were all vegan and, and had some junk foods. And people that were pretty plant-based, just wanted a little direction. So I've seen all kinds of start points. I've also seen when people, you know, start out guns a-blazing, and, and a lot of times that is very important because they're very sick, and to get the maximum benefit, we want the maximum change. But with that, you know, full-on, full-force change, sometimes comes a lot of pressure to maintain something that's uncomfortable. And the next thing you know, you know, people start to struggle, or there will be a struggle. Um, a for instance is, you know, um, uh, weight loss is really easy when you had a horrible diet, or even dropping cholesterol is very easy when you have a horrible diet and your cholesterol is high. But as you change your diet and become more plant-based, then it is the changes come slower. And if people started out pretty good, then the changes may be slower from the get-go. But when people come in and they, you know, they drop that first 20 pounds and it comes off kind of easy and they feel really good about it and we're dropping their insulin and we're dropping their blood pressure pills, um, at that point, you know, everybody feels, you know, um, pretty good. But then invariably something happens. And it almost happens to everybody because you don't know what to expect. Um, typically, it's a vacation, a holiday. Um, people come to visit. Maybe even you get sick. Maybe you get sick while you're traveling. And then it becomes how do you get back on track and sometimes question comes up and people raise questions of maybe why you're doing it in the first place or do you need to do it anymore or have you done enough so that's where you have the i want to do one pull up or i want to achieve a weight of or i want to achieve a cholesterol of or i want to get off my blood pressure medicine goal and then you reset your test and you go from there so one idea would be to start out with where you are and do a three-day menu plan. So you're going to have what you're going to make and you're going to have those three days. And at the end of those three days, you can assess how you did. Did you like the menus that you had? What didn't you like about them? What about those, what other vegetables can you, uh, what, you know, what, look at the plate and see what's potentially missing. Is there something that you can add to it? So maybe, um, maybe you're starting from scratch and you just started with breakfast and you had three different breakfasts, breakfast with a variety of different fruit. Maybe you had, uh, you know, a 
just fruit. Maybe you had, you know, a piece of toast and fruit. Maybe you had teff, you know, uh, maybe you had a, even a plant-based pancake that you made, but you can see those breakfasts and how they fit in. You know, are you getting your chia seeds, flax, or hemp seed in? Um, you know, are you getting enough fruit in? You know, what did you get? Were you full? And go from there. Maybe you tried a smoothie. Were you full? You know, did you make, uh, did you have to um, have a snack or something because the smoothie didn't carry you over? So you can assess over three days and then go again. Maybe your breakfast, you have that down and now you're going to go to lunch. So you're going to try to find three lunches that uh, for three days that you like. And again, reassess. You know, maybe it's leftovers one day, maybe it's two different kinds of salads. Then you reassess. Then you have some go-tos. Um, again, you might go to dinner. You might stay on lunch. You know, find three more days of lunches that, that you like. Maybe you're tired of, you know, use the same dressing, and so you need to find different dressings to use. Um, the other metric that you can look at along the way is, you know, are you starting to achieve any goals? So if you substituted oatmeal from eggs, are your glucose for your eggs, are your glucose better? Uh, has your weight gone down? Um, are your ankles less swollen? You know, or less sodium intake? You know, so you can look at metrics that you want to assess after three days. But it could be as simple as, you know, did I like the food? Did it keep me full? Um, was it balanced? Was there good color on my plate? And then reassess and go. And by keeping your transition simple like that, uh, you can keep building on what it, what it was. If you have a setback, again, you know, you traveled or you got sick, then, you know, go back and look at how you started, you know, look at, find yourself a breakfast, lunch, and dinner that you can go back to. I'm keeping a log of my tests, what the results are, my next three days, what I did, my test, and, and so forth. So I can look back and see where I was, I can see my progress, and I can see where I'm going. At the end of 22 days, if I can't do a pull-up, then I'll reassess what the problem is and try to build on it from there. So it may be that I continue to progress with the same exercises or maybe I add in a few. If I can do a pull-up at, at day 22, then it, it is how I maintain to be able to do that pull-up. And if I keep doing the same regimen, can I do more pull-ups? And how do I keep that strength going and, and that build-up? So maybe it's working on grip strength. Maybe it's working on hang time. Maybe it's working on abdominal strength. But any of those exercises is going to help me in my overall general fitness and goals. So it's something to build upon. One of the things that um, I've stumbled upon recently is iron. Traditionally, when someone goes plant-based, a lot of people will worry that you're going to become iron deficient. Um, so you'll be iron deficient anemia, you'll be weak, um, back in the old days, there was commercials about Geritol when women, um, women were to take Geritol because they had a loss of iron with menstruation, and if they took Geritol, they'd have more energy, build back their iron stores. The reality is iron's a heavy metal, and we accumulate, uh, it's estimated, a milligram per every day of our lives. So the older we get, the more iron we accumulate, and the more toxic it can be. And iron stored in our tissues, such as our liver, heart, kidney, brains, can be toxic and 
abnormal metabolic function, abnormal recycling of iron can lead to multiple diseases. Uh, it's thought to contribute to cardiomyopathies, decreased heart muscle contraction, uh, electrical abnormalities in the heart, certainly dementia, um, and various neurological diseases, neuropathies, kidney disease, um, disease of the immune system. So the majority of problems with iron probably comes from too much. It has even been postulated that women live longer than men because they have a monthly loss of iron through the menstrual cycle for a lot of years of their life. And so after menopause, women start to catch up with things like heart disease and vascular disease. So all things taken equal, that loss of iron is probably protective. There have been studies that look at blood donation as being protective because it's decreasing iron stores. Where do you get your iron? Um, you know, people that eat meat get a form of iron from heme, from the blood, so the blood of other animals. That iron is absorbed readily uh, without much difficulty into the um, intestinal cells, transferred into the blood. Um, Non-heme iron from plant-type sources requires a little bit more enzymatic activity. Vitamin C um, helps with all of that, so it's not as readily absorbed, which is a good thing, not a bad thing, because there's iron is not really taken up unless it's really needed. So you you don't take every drop of iron from the spinach, perhaps it's not a full absorption. So people that are not plant-based and don't want to be plant-based say, well, you don't absorb iron as well. You don't. But that's a good thing because you don't want excessive amounts of iron. We usually have plenty of iron. Women, pregnant women, um, children making, you know, making red blood cells need more than men. Postmenopausal women need less but it's still readily accessible through non-blood sources. So for instance, things like oats and greens and different vegetables typically have one to two, two and a half milligrams of iron per serving. A ribeye has 6.5 milligrams. So again, heme iron a lot more per serving, but with everything else plant-based, we kind of trickle it in from a variety of different foods. So eating a well-balanced, well-rounded diet with multiple fruits, vegetables, and greens, you get in adequate amounts of diet. The RDA for men is 8 milligrams a day. For women, menstruating, 27 milligrams a day. If your hemoglobin is normal, and that is what carries the majority, so the majority, 70% of the iron in our body is in the hemoglobin, less is in this very much, or a small amount is in the serum, but if your hemoglobin is normal, there's not much worry about iron deficiency. So if you have bleeding through menstruation, uh, a um, ulcer that bleeds or a cancer that bleeds, so blood loss leads to iron loss. If you donate blood, you donate iron. You're losing iron. You have some come out of your tissues and um, you replenish your own stores. When your doctor is assessing iron, just like some other things, the thyroid comes to mind, there's more than just one blood test. So certainly the first market would be your hemoglobin. Uh, the second would be 
serum iron, and again, that's less than 1% of your iron stores, but that tells us about your ability to recycle your total iron that you have in your body, so iron stores. Every day, um, you, your red blood cells turn over, so um, there's 2.5 million red blood cells that turn over every day of your life. 25 milligrams of iron are needed to support that cycle that we have, 24 of it is recycled. So basically you get one milligram of new iron, 24 milligrams are recycled. And it's that recycling ability that's most important and is associated with disease. So as we get older and we accumulate metabolic excess and we have problems with our cells and mitochondrial function, we also have the accumulation of iron into the tissues Disease occurs, uh, abnormalities in the cells, and so we can't really recycle that iron as much, and that can lead to problems. But it's not necessarily, it's not because we have low iron, it's because of how we're recycling it. Copper also plays a role in that. So a lot of times we don't have the bioavailability of copper in our diet. Come to find out, um, you know, our soils have been depleted, monocrops, um, heavy use of pesticides and fertilizers. So even though we can buy beautiful vegetables, they often aren't, the soil's often not enriched with all the vitamins and minerals that it needs, and hence the plants are devoid. And copper is one thing that plants can be devoid of. So it's really important to have a copper source. Um, if we look at a typical food sources, and I'm gonna go plant-based source, um, but um, cacao powder, so chocolate, that doesn't mean to go out and get a Snickers, but dark chocolate or cacao. Um, it has actually been, um, uh, there was a paper where a person was copper deficient and the medical student gave the person uh, hot chocolate every night to um, replenish their copper stores. And you can measure copper and you can measure ceruloplasm, which is part of the binding part of copper. Uh, your doctor can do so. Nuts and seeds specifically, or especially sunflower and cashew and poppy seeds are high in, in uh, copper. Beans, chickpeas, sprouted lentils more than regular lentils. So you sprout them, you, you increase the copper availability. Pinto beans, white beans, greens, kale, Swiss chard, uh, potato skins. You know, potato is a great vegetable. People are so afraid of white potatoes, but they have vitamin C, iron, copper, um, you know, fiber. It, it's it's a great you know it's a great vegetable uh, to to have onto your plate. Um, you know, I'm not saying putting putting butter and cheese on top, but uh, the white potato itself is actually a very very good healthy uh, food. Avocados, uh, high in copper, shiitake mushrooms, sun-dried tomatoes, uh, brings out the copper availability, quinoa, buckwheat, spirulina is a green that, you know, algae some people use, certainly not necessarily to get copper. But it comes back to it's better to get your copper from food, but the question is how much copper does a food have in it? So that's where, you know, I, I again, um, have people lean more and more towards organic. If you go to a farmer's market, talk about how <clears throat> excuse me, the farmer, you know, what does the farmer use? Does he use any copper sulfate? 
Um, even spraying your trees, your fruit trees with copper sulfate, the leaves, you can increase the copper content of the fruit. Um, so if you have fruit trees, that's always a way to do it, or spraying your vegetable gardens with copper, enriching your own soil, like I did with the pigeon peas, or going to do with the pigeon peas, enriching the soil with copper sulfate is another good way to ensure that you get adequate stores. So copper is really tied to the recycling of iron and that maintenance of a good flow. So we're not looking to put more iron in, we're looking to enhance our recycling of the iron that we have so that we don't become toxic by just putting more and more iron in. So it requires a multitude of, of, of blood tests if there's a question uh, about you know, uh, whether or not you're low, you actually have low iron. But for the most part, I'm gonna say it's really hard to become iron deficient if, you're not ha if you haven't had a big blood loss. And you can certainly replace blood loss if need be through the addition of non-heme iron sources. The other thing that is important in making, in, in making red blood cells and iron and metabolism is vitamin A. And in the plant-based world, we look at beta-carotene to be trans, uh, chemically transformed into uh, retinol. Turns out synthetic vitamin A is actually probably toxic. There's been uh, associated with bone uh, issues and fractures with taking vitamin A. So excessive amounts of vitamin A supplementation can be actually very dangerous. Um, vitamin A from foods, uh, straight vitamin A comes from animal sources. Beta carotene would be the vegetable source. Interestingly, in most countries, people get a combination of their retinol from beta-carotene and vitamin A. So people eat vegetables and meat. Most European countries get most of their vitamin A through beta-carotene because they eat less meat, so their conversion. There is a beta-carotene deficiency in a lot of people. Taking a supplement's not the answer, but eating a plate that is rich in color is the answer. And I was surprised to find out that, you know, there is uh, a beta-carotene deficiency in a lot of individuals. I don't know why I was so surprised if you think about the brown plates that people eat uh, without any vegetables, fruits, or colors on them, colorful vegetables. But incorporating color, so multiple colored red bell peppers, you know, red, yellow, orange, green bell peppers, greens, you know, a source of beta-carotene, carrots, papaya, cantaloupe, orange, sweet potatoes, um, yellow squash, all great sources of beta-carotene. We're entering fall pumpkin season, so butternut squash, all varieties of pumpkins, very, very good in uh, beta-carotene. Cabbages, greens, all good in beta-carotene. So it seems impossible when you think about plant-based nutrition to be deficient in beta-carotene, but again, people that tend to eat a very processed fast food diet can be deficient in beta-carotene um, intake. You might say, well, they eat animals. Um, are they getting it from animals? But in the actual meat itself, not so much. So if you're going to be a keto, if you're going to follow a ketogenic diet in, in, or be a carnivore, you have to eat the organ meat. You know, uh, my dogs are carnivores. They have to have organ meat in their survive because that is where 
the vitamin A is. So when people aren't taking in beta carotene, they've got to eat some organ meat and you know maybe some oysters uh, will help somewhat too. But most people don't like the sound of eating heart, kidney, and liver uh, on a regular basis. So you know it really goes. You know uh, I don't think there's any liver dish at Chick Fil A or Burger King. You know. Uh, Frankly, when I was growing up, the worst smell in, the, in anybody's house was the cooking of liver and onions. I, I hated that. That was really the only food I never liked. But, you know, most people nowadays don't eat a lot of those things. So they can, you know, they still need the beta carotene. So uh, we still need colorful fruits and vegetables. We're still better taking our nutrients from the food and not synthetic supplements because of the way we absorb them and the, the reactions that are going on simultaneously in our body. Our body doesn't know how to handle synthetic vitamins. It handles the vitamins as a part of the food much, much better. You know, so I, I, I guess I would conclude that nutrients from a plant-based diet are trickle in from a variety of different sources looking at your plate, making sure it's colored, well-balanced, taking it little steps at a time, reassessing metrics to see where you're, if you're accomplishing the goals. You know, don't stick your hand, head in the sand. If you're not accomplishing your goals, then you need to reassess. Certainly, the sicker you are, the more aggressive you need to be and to have that goal out in front of you. There's not a lot of room um, if you're you know, older and have excessive amounts of iron stores and have liver and heart dysfunction because of those, putting, you know, cutting back on animal products at that point is not going to be a fix. So it's, it, it, you know, it becomes necessary to be more aggressive the sicker that you are. But again, if we're accumulating toxins every day of our lives, it'd be nice to stop that process uh, rather than, you know, continue it for a period of time. So in general, I don't think it's good to infuse a bunch of supplements just because there's a possibility of a deficiency. I think it needs to be evaluated and looked into. Um, and again, the majority of us don't need to worry if we can look at our plate and see a colorful plate full of fruits and vegetables and, and whole grains. If you'd like to learn more, uh, go on over to our website, drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com. You can find out how you can be a, become a part of our practice. Certainly, we assess patients individually. Uh, we don't just throw a zillion tests at people and try to find something. Um, we talk to people and spend time and test when we need to, uh, but we don't test for no, you know, we, there's a method to our madness, basically. Everybody, I believe, is an individual and, and deserves an individual workup, not a protocol one-size-fits-all. You can email me questions, jamie at Dr. Delaney. Love to hear from you. If you want to run a marathon with us, you can uh, sign up for the Treasure Coast Marathon in March. Now getting to that six-month mark, so it's time to start training. Um, in our practice, we train people to run marathons and, and do endurance events uh, as a part of our movement. I'll keep you up to date with my 22-day challenge as it comes along. Thank you, as always, for listening. Have a good evening.